Welcome back to the listener's commentary on the book of Galatians. In this session, we are looking at Galatians chapter 5, verses 2 through 12. And this section is, in a lot of ways, really a climactic moment in the letter. In the preceding paragraph, Paul had used the story of Abraham, Isaac, Sarah, Hagar, and Ishmael to make the point that the lineage of promise flows through through Isaac and through people with the same faith of Abraham, and he implicitly called the Galatians to do for the Judaizers what um, Abraham was called to do for Hagar and Ishmael, to send them out. They are not the line of promise. The Judaizers are not telling you the truth about God's people and God's ways, so send them out. And so in this session, now we kind of come to this climactic moment where Paul is essentially going to say to the Galatians, you have got to defend your freedom. As he ended the last paragraph with, it was for freedom that Christ set you free. Therefore, defend that freedom and don't be subject again to a yoke of slavery. Well, here in Galatians 5, 2 through 12, Paul really now brings everything that's been in the background, makes it explicit, and says, defend that freedom. The dominant question that he is asking in these verses is really, what, what does Paul want the Galatians to stand against? That's the question being answered here. What does Paul want the Galatians to stand against? And the short answer to that is circumcision. But the reason for that answer is this. The full statement is circumcision obligates a person to the entire Old Testament law, and that cuts you off from Christ. So stand against that. Do not submit to circumcision and thus become a participant in the old covenant, you have entered into Christ and the new covenant. And so if you get circumcised, it's going to cut you off from Christ. And that's really the main idea of this paragraph. All right, the paragraph really has two two specific parts to it. The first part is verses 2 through 6, and the second part is verses 7 through 12. In 2 through 6, Paul really calls the Galatians to protect their freedom And in 7 through 12, Paul calls out the the false teachers, the Judaizers, who are robbing them or threatening their freedom. So 2 through 6, protect your freedom. 7 through 12, watch out for people like this who are trying to rob you of your freedom. Let's take a look at the details of what Paul actually says here. In in verses 2 through 6, Paul is, as we said, calling them to protect their freedom. And this is the way he begins that section. He says, now, behold, I, Paul, this is essentially Paul wanting to say, I'm serious about this. Pay attention. Behold, pay attention. It would be like a preacher today saying, listen to me. So behold, I, Paul, I say to you, and we have to hear the full weight of Paul's authority there. The reason he uses his name is he's an apostle. He's the one that has planted their church. He is speaking on behalf of Jesus, so he's throwing the full weight of his authority behind what he's about to say. Behold, I, Paul, I say to you that if you receive circumcision, Christ will be of no benefit to you. I testify again to every person among you, every man who receives circumcision, that he is under obligation to keep the whole law. You have been severed from Christ. You who are seeking to be justified by law, you have fallen from grace. Here in these verses, verses 2 through 4, Paul really enunciates the dire consequences 
of receiving circumcision. He says that if you receive circumcision, Christ will be of no benefit to you there in verse 2. One really technical note, the word if, which seems pretty small and insignificant, but in Greek there's two different words for if. There's one word that means if and you have, it's more like since, and there's a word that means if and it's still up in the air whether you've done that or not. There's still some question marks about it. And so the the nature of the word really determines the kind of condition we have. Well, in this sentence, if you receive circumcision, then the word if here is more that question mark kind of if. If you receive circumcision, and Paul said, seeming to suggest that they haven't gone the whole way. They're entertaining the idea of what the Judaizers are teaching. Maybe a few have gone the whole way, but in total they haven't. And so he's saying, if you actually take that step and receive circumcision, and they haven't quite done that yet. Um, So that's the nature of the if. So if you receive circumcision, here's the dire consequences. The first one is this, Christ will be of no benefit to you. That's That's like the main first dire consequence of uh, receiving circumcision. So if you you make that choice and you receive circumcision, then Christ will be of no benefit to you. Law-keeping is not only useless, it's fatal. Like, it, it means Christ is no use to you. Christ can do nothing for you. Christ is of no benefit to you. Then he goes on and he says this, he says, Um, I testify again. Notice the seriousness of what he's saying. I testify again to every man who receives circumcision that he is under obligation to keep the whole law. So this consequence really makes clear the reason for the first consequence. Why is Christ of no benefit to you? Well, if you receive circumcision, you have got to keep the entire Old Testament law. Here's what we need to keep in mind is that um, we really have two different covenants in play. We have the Christ covenant, the new covenant that was ratified by Christ through his death and resurrection, through his blood. That's one covenant. And we have the old covenant, the Mosaic covenant that is marked out by circumcision. And so if you receive circumcision, it's not just like, oh, you've just kind of, you know, added a little optional extra onto your religious life. You've actually changed covenants. You've left the covenant ratified in Christ by his blood, and you have entered into the covenant of Moses that's marked out by circumcision and made up of the requirements of the Old Testament law. And so if you receive circumcision, Christ is of no benefit for you because you have entered into a brand new covenant, the covenant of Moses, and that obligates you to keep the entire Old Testament law. You are under that covenant. And so circumcision is a pledge to keep the whole law because you have entered into the covenant with all its stipulations, with all its terms, with all its requirements. It's it's not just adding a little bit here and there. It actually means you are a debtor. That's the sense of the word obligated. You're a debtor to the whole Old Testament law. And that means you have been cut off from Christ. So in verse 4, he says, you have been severed from Christ. And so if you if you receive circumcision, that little physical cutting ritual means 
has a big implication. You have been cut off from, severed from Christ. Now, why is that? We need to think really clearly about this. It's not just the fact of circumcision. In fact, we know from the book of Acts that Paul actually had Timothy circumcised so he could participate in Paul's ministry. That might actually play into some of the things Paul says here later on in this paragraph. So it's not the bare fact of circumcision. In other words, if you have your baby boy circumcised, then he's doomed, right? That's not the point. It's not the bare fact of circumcision. It's the theological reasons for the circumcision that really are the problem here in Galatia and that Paul is dealing with. And so, notice the second half of verse 4. He says, at the beginning of verse 4, you have been severed from Christ, and here's the theological reason. You who are seeking to be justified by the law. That's the real problem, those theological reasons. It's what they're being told. If you want to be in a right relationship with God and really be part of God's people, that's the sense of justified. So, justified means to be declared right. It means to be declared in a right relationship with God and be thus a part of his people. So if you are looking to the Old Testament law and thus receiving circumcision in order to be part of God's people and and in a right relationship with God, you're, you're cut off from Christ. Christ doesn't justify you that way. Christ justifies you simply by trusting him. It's two totally different covenants with two totally different ways of operating. One operates by trusting Jesus and his sacrifice and what he did, and as Paul will say, and then trusting the Spirit to help you become like Jesus. The other is by doing all the things of the Old Testament law. So two totally different covenants, and that's the real problem. So you've been severed from Christ, you who are seeking to be justified by the law, and the end of verse 4, you have fallen from grace. Again, that's because the way Paul is using these words, not that there wasn't grace in the Old Testament, there was plenty of grace in the Old Testament, but grace here represents the covenant in the Messiah by which we are saved simply by trusting Jesus, not by keeping the Old Testament law. So if you choose the Old Covenant, the Mosaic Covenant, you have fallen from grace. You are outside the realm of God's mercy and God's grace, which is now found in Jesus the Messiah. All right? And so those are the dire consequences of receiving circumcision. It's not just a minor thing. This is a major choice. And this is why Paul argues so stringently and so stridently in this letter to try to keep people from receiving circumcision. And that's why this is such a climactic moment in the letter, because everything he has said is leading up to this moment. In fact, this is the first time that circumcision is directly mentioned in the letter. Paul has built up to this moment so he can finally say with all the theological argumentation now behind him in the letter, he can finally say, this is a major deal. Don't receive circumcision. If you do, it's going to cut you off from Christ. It's going to put you outside the realm of God's grace. You will be under the law experiencing everything of the law, including its curses and its condemnation. Now in verses 5 and 6, Paul turns to the flip side of what he has said. In other words, verses 2 through 4 say, Circumcision obligates you to operate according to the Mosaic law. 
but in Christ, we have a different operating system. And so verses 5 and 6 are going to lay out, here's how we operate as God's people in Christ. This is our operating system, the way we do life. So verse 5 says, for, notice that he's explaining how we operate differently, for we, meaning we who are in Christ, we who follow the Messiah, we, through the Spirit, by faith, are waiting for the hope of righteousness. This is how we live. We don't operate on the basis of the Mosaic law. We operate on the basis of faith and the Spirit. That is how God's people in Christ function. That is how we live. And so he says, for we, through the Spirit, or literally in the Spirit, this is the realm in which we live. This is the means by which we live. Paul will explain this very shortly in more detail, and he'll talk about what it means to walk by the Spirit. So we'll look at that in more detail here in a bit. But so we, in, by, through the Spirit, and from faith, by faith, or from faith. And so this is our operating system, faith and the Spirit. We are waiting for the hope of righteousness. This is how we actually go about our life. We are living in the present time in a period of expectation and waiting, waiting for what he calls the hope of righteousness, which could be either the hope that righteousness brings or the hope of acquiring righteousness. It's not 100% clear grammatically, but probably what Paul means by the hope of righteousness is the day when we are standing before God and our righteousness, our justification is publicly proclaimed that we are in the right and we really are God's people. Bible scholar N.T. Wright puts it this way in his popular level commentary on the book of Galatians. He writes, Paul speaks of the time when God will declare publicly and completely that all those who are in Christ really are his people. That's what he seems to have in mind by the hope of righteousness. And so we, as God's people in Christ, we are operating by the Spirit, from faith, and we're waiting for that day when, when it'll be obvious and publicly proclaimed that we really are God's people. And then he goes on in verse 6 and says, For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything but faith working through love. And so, in Christ, circumcision is neither here nor there. It's like, meh, circumcision, uncircumcision, no big deal. Now, before we just blow past that, we need to make sure we hear the significance of what Paul just said. Can you imagine, just a few decades earlier, Paul ever saying this, when Paul was a, a ardent, passionate Pharisee, would Paul have ever said this? Definitely not. Paul would have been on the side with the Judaizers before he came to faith in Jesus, right? Circumcision was everything. Circumcision marked you out as the people of God, but now no longer. What marks you out as the people of God is your faith in the Messiah and the fruit of the Spirit in your life. That's what marks you out as the people of God. And so now a little minor physical operation, eh, no big deal, neither here nor there. If you get circumcised, eh, if you don't get circumcised, eh, no big deal. Circumcision is neither neither here nor there. Here's what matters. Faith working through love. And so you put verses 5 and 6 together and we get a pretty complete picture of here is the very thing that marks out God's people and here is the very thing that is our operating system in Christ. It's faith working through love by the power of the Spirit. That's 
what marks out God's people now in Christ. Now, this little phrase, faith working through love, I think is incredibly significant for making sure we understand Paul's theology and don't kind of overemphasize one side over the other. When we say that Paul teaches justification by faith apart from works, we have to make sure we're, we're clear that he's apart from works of the Old Testament law. But the Apostle Paul believed that faith works, right? So faith working through love, not through earning merit, not through trying to prove we're good enough, but simply through grateful love for God and love for other people, faith does work. It does things. It acts because we trust Jesus, right? And so make sure we don't overstate Paul's theology about uh, saved by grace through faith apart from works. Paul never believed that works didn't matter. Works do matter, but they're a different kind of works. They are works of faith works that express love. And so in Christ Jesus, circumcision is neither here nor there. Being part of the old covenant doesn't matter. That that has nothing to do with who God's people are. What matters and what marks us out is faith working through love. So in verses 2 through 6, Paul has really called the Galatians and us to defend our freedom by rejecting circumcision and instead walking by faith and the Spirit through love. In verses 7 through 12, the second half of this paragraph, what Paul does is he calls out those who are threatening their freedom and warns of what's in store for them. So he says this in verse 7, "'You were running so well,' which speaks of their race of faith. And so Paul's using this imagery of this race. So you were running so well. You were moving forward in your spiritual life so well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? That word translated hinder literally is cut in on you. It's the picture in this race analogy of you running this race and somebody cutting you off and causing you to trip up and stumble and fall or cutting in front of you and forcing you to slow down in the race. That's the picture here. So again, it don't lose the connection with the idea of cutting, right? Like Circumcision is a cutting ritual. You've been severed from Christ. Well, now using another word uh, that pictures this idea of cutting in on you in a race. And so you were running well. Who cut in on you? Who hindered you from obeying the truth? That those who have come into the churches of Galatia now, what they're effectively doing is they're like cutting you off from keeping the truth, from obeying the truth. Verse 8 says this persuasion, this contention, the idea, in other words, that these Judaizers are teaching, this persuasion doesn't come from him who calls you. It didn't come from God. So it didn't come from God himself. In fact, from everything else Paul has argued in the letter, we know it actually is totally against God and God's plan and God's work in in and through Christ. So this persuasion didn't come from him who calls you. Verse 9 A little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough. In other words, uh, these these guys may not be small, and they may have only influenced a few people, but it won't take long before it's permeated the whole church. And so shifting his metaphor from this race metaphor to now this image of leaven and baking, he's essentially saying it doesn't take much. If you just entertain a little bit of this ideas and you leave these guys to hang around for a little while before long, they will have permeated the whole church just like a little bit of leaven leavens the entire lump of dough. In the first half of verse 10 then, Paul reassures the 
churches of Galatia, that he has confidence in them, that they will actually understand what he's getting at, see his point of view, and agree with him in this. And so he says in the first half of verse 10, he says, I have confidence in you in the Lord that you will adopt no other view. And so this is his way of kind of persuasively, rhetorically saying, I believe in you. I believe that you will understand my argumentation. You'll see the the truth of what I'm saying, and you will agree with me on this, and you will adopt the same view. Second half of verse 10 then states really the warning for the troublemaker or the troublemakers. So he says, but the one who is disturbing you shall bear his judgment, whoever he is. And it's not as if Paul doesn't know who he is or the the Galatians don't know who he is. They probably know who this guy or these people are. He's just saying as a blanket statement, whether it's those people or somebody else, if they're going to teach you this false doctrine, well, guess what? The Lord will take care of it. That's the force of this. The one who is disturbing you shall bear his judgment. He is accountable to the Lord. The Lord will sort it all out. The Lord will make it right. And the Lord will hold him accountable for his actions. And so you don't have to prove him wrong. You don't have to make him see that he's wrong. All you have to do is reject his teaching and leave him to the Lord. The Lord will take care of it. He will bear his judgment. In verse 11, Paul seems to be giving a quick rebuttal to something that the Judaizers are saying about Paul and presumably saying it in order to use it as kind of persuasive leverage to to get the Galatians to come to their point of view. So let's read verse 11, and then we'll have to clarify exactly what's going on here. Verse 11, Paul says, But I, brethren, if I still preach circumcision... Why am I still persecuted? Well, then the stumbling block of the cross has been abolished. And so it seems like Paul is kind of replying to, rebutting a uh, accusation or a, an idea that the Judaizers are saying about Paul. They're accusing him of really still preaching circumcision. Presumably, if you read between the lines, it's something like this. As they're going around to the Galatian churches, they're saying, look, you guys need to be circumcised in order to really be part of God's people, be part of the family of Abraham and experience the full blessing. Even Paul teaches that. He still teaches. He just didn't tell you. In fact, he changes his message sometimes depending on who's preaching to. In fact, I think this is why clear back in Galatians chapter 1, verse 10, Paul's being accused of being a man pleaser. It's this accusation here that uh, finally becomes straight and explicit before us that they're making against Paul. And so they are suggesting that Paul is still preaching circumcision, but tailors his message depending on who he's talking to. So sometimes when he's talking to certain people, he doesn't think circumcision would be very you know, appealing to them. Oh, he leaves it out. But when he's talking to other people, he thinks circumcision is important. Oh, well, then he throws it in there, and Paul speaks out of both sides of his mouth. That seems to be, reading between the lines, what the uh, Judaizers are accusing Paul of and that Paul is re- responding to here in verse 11. Now, where would they have gotten that idea? Well, I think it's pretty clear when we read the book of Acts and put it together with this, where they would have gotten that idea. What did Paul do for Timothy? Well, Paul, in order for Timothy to be a part of his missionary work, Paul circumcised Timothy. Paul did so according to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 16. Paul did so because Timothy's dad was a Gentile, his mom was a Jew, and Timothy sort of was stuck in a land between where he didn't have credibility with the Gentiles because 
of his Jewish upbringing. He didn't have credibility with the Jews because uh, he hadn't been circumcised. And so he really, he really wasn't, uh, he was really in a disadvantaged situation. And so for the sake of being useful to, to ministry and being able to go into synagogues with Paul and preach Jesus to them and all of that, Paul, as a ministry expedient, said, let's circumcise you. Well, where is Timothy from? Timothy is from one of the churches of Galatia. And thus, I think that's really where they're getting their, their, this idea that Paul sometimes still preached circumcision. And, and they're using that then as leverage towards the Galatians to say, so Paul's just holding out on you and he's kind of fickle and he's two-faced and you really just need to recognize that he still believes that circumcision is important and you need to go and get circumcised. Paul's response then in verse 11 here is, look, if I still preach circumcision, the same way they're preaching circumcision, as necessary for being uh, saved and being in a right relationship with God, then why am I still persecuted? Then the stumbling block of the cross has been abolished. And Paul, throughout his letters and throughout his ministry, recognized that the cross was a stumbling block to the Jews. Read 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and you'll see that. And that the cross itself was stumbling blocks to the Jews because why in the world would God curse his own Messiah? And that's what the cross meant. And so it was a stumbling block. And also the cross meant that the old era had ended and the Mosaic covenant was over and now Messiah had come, which meant we moved into a new era in salvation history. And thus he had, we were done with the law. And so the cross brought all this to the fore. And so the stumbling block of the cross would be abolished if circumcision was still requir required. And so if Paul was still preaching that circumcision was required, he wouldn't be persecuted by the Jews like he has been everywhere he goes. Read the book of Acts and you'll see quite clearly that most of the persecution Paul experienced in his ministry was instigated by the Jews because of the stumbling block of the cross. And so that in and of itself proves that he's not preaching circumcision like the Judaizers are telling the Galatians. Now, in verse 12, Paul wraps up this section with really sort of an off-the-cuff kind of verbal backhand almost that expresses his frustration with and what he really wants for the Judaizers. He's frustrated with them. He's frustrated with the way they've uh, accused him of things that aren't true. He's frustrated with the fact that they are subverting the work of Jesus and the Spirit and Paul's ministry in the churches of Galatia. And so verse 12 is sort of like this off-the-cuff verbal backhand from Paul in the direction of the Judaizers. He says this in verse 12, Would that those who are troubling you even mutilate themselves. That word translated mutilate literally is emasculate or castrate themselves. In other words, Paul is essentially saying, look, if they're so interested in cutting on that thing, why don't they go the whole way and cut it off? That's sort of the force of what he's saying in verse 12. It's a very strong statement, very kind of in-your-face, sarcastic, little bit of theological trash talk almost. And here's why that's significant. In the context of the Old Testament law, Deuteronomy 23.1 says this, Deuteronomy 23.1 says, No one who is emasculated shall enter the assembly of the Lord. I kind of imagine Paul writing these words with a wry smile because he knows the force of what he's getting at. To him, circumcision is so much a thing of the old covenant and so neither here nor there that 
eh, it doesn't really matter. It's essentially just a useless cutting ritual that leaves you outside the assembly of the Lord unless you have faith in Jesus the Messiah. And so his little off-the-cuff comment would be really offensive to and upsetting to the Judaizers, but in Paul's mind, what they're asking the Galatians to do is essentially the same sort of thing. Cutting on that thing doesn't put you in the assembly of the Lord. So under the new covenant, circumcision has the same effect as castration did under the old covenant. It cuts you off from the assembly of God's people. All right, in this paragraph, Paul strongly stands against circumcision and justification by means of the law, and he strongly stands against the Judaizers. And Paul would consider things a success if the Galatians would embrace the gospel and oppose those same things, circumcision, justification by the law, and the Judaizers. In other words, standing for something requires standing against some things. Paul is for the gospel. Paul wants the Galatians and us to be for the gospel. And if we're going to be for the gospel, that means there's going to be some things we're going to have to be against. And in the case of the Galatians, they're going to have to be against circumcision. They're going to have to be against justification by means of the old covenant. They're going to have to even be against the Judaizers themselves, as Paul is against them. That the Judaizers are under the judgment of God unless they change their tune. And so to be for the gospel is to be against these things. And that's true today. In order, in order for us to stand for the gospel, there are some things we're going to have to stand against, and that's terribly, terribly important. And the other little reflection from this text that I think is really important for us is, what is our operating system and now as the people of God in Christ? Our operating system is faith, the Spirit, and love. That's our operating system. That's what we live by. And so in the paragraph that's about to come and what follows, Paul will begin to detail that for us and help us think that through. And so we're going to have to just slow down a little bit and think through flesh, spirit, faith, love, and all of that as we think through what does it mean to be God's people today who don't live by the law, but who walk by the Spirit through faith. Now that Messiah has come, that's how the people of God live.